0: United States Institute of Peace, along with Sirius XM's POTUS Channel 124, now present their weekly podcast.
1: We're joined now by Mary Glantz. She is a Ph.D. and senior advisor for the Russia and Europe Center for the United States Institute of Peace. She joins us now. Mary, welcome and good morning. How are you?
0: Thank you. I'm good. How are you?
1: I'm doing great. Thank you so much for asking. Look, we're a little less than a week now from the the summit, the NATO summit. It's going to take place in Lithuania. It's, uh, of course, one of the big considerations and big topics everyone's thinking about is what happens with Ukraine and whether there is a clear path to membership. Where do things stand?
0: Yeah, that's absolutely true. That's the biggest issue. And we Probably won't get any absolute certainty until the summit itself, because they'll be doing some last minute negotiations. But Ukraine wants a clear path to membership. Some of the Eastern European allies, like the Baltic States and Poland, also want that clear path to Ukrainian membership. They want a timeline. They want to know exactly when Ukraine is going to get in, something really strong to signal to Putin that his attempts to keep Ukraine out of NATO have failed. Other allies are more hesitant. I'm thinking more of like the Western European allies who um, don't want to be that forward leaning. And so what the Biden administration is doing is trying to balance. Um, It would really like to avoid the appearance of a split. Um, They think that that would be, send a really bad signal to Putin that the United, that the alliance is not fully united, um, and they want to avoid that. So we probably won't see until the very last minute how far it is, but I imagine they're going to send some sort of strong signal to Ukraine to encourage it. I just don't know if if it will be, you know, the direct path that Ukraine wants. What are
1: those signals? I mean, will they get some kind of, and obviously it's hard to evaluate what that looks like, but what would a meaningful commitment look like? I mean, it's one thing if you're not presently Involves in a war. It's another thing if you're and you're just wanting to have a sort of esoteric conversation if you're Ukraine, right, in terms of NATO. But here they are more than a year into this invasion by a geopolitical enemy of many of these NATO, these, all these NATO countries, really, um, certainly not an, certainly not an ally. What would a meaningful commitment even look like?
0: You know, and that's the million dollar question. I think you know Ukraine wants membership. That's clear. And I think a lot of allies also want Ukraine to be an ally because um, they've shown their toughness. They've shown their resilience. They've shown their um, ability to contribute to European security, which is one of the key things that, that we look for from NATO members is that you're a security contributor. They've shown all that. Um, I think that what a stronger commitment might look like would be maybe abandoning the whole membership action plan, you know, all these series of steps that you have to go through because Ukraine's gone through some of them already and giving them something a little more direct, saying, you know, um, something definitely stronger than what was given um, earlier, that commitment that Ukraine will Ukraine and Georgia will be a member of NATO, something much more concrete than that, like, you know, they're on the path they um Something creative, I mean, it's hard to say exactly what, but something stronger than a membership action plan, but um very direct and planned, you know very direct and leading towards that membership.
1: You know, we're already hearing and I'm sure it will take up a lot of conversation that's happening in NATO for obvious reasons, obviously. But Zelensky, President Zelensky has been saying that the Russians have put explosives on top of several buildings in the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant um, and for some kind of a false flag operation. Are you are you thinking that will be a part of what would be part of these meaningful considerations or commitments that would have to be discussed at the NATO summit?
0: Yeah, that's a good question. I saw that again, and this isn't the first time that um, Zaporizhia has come into play. Russia continually threatens some sort of nuclear catastrophe or nuclear attack or things like that. They wave the nuclear saber a lot. Um, I don't think... I know that that's not what's... It it won't make the Baltic states and Poland hesitate at all. Um, And it probably won't make the alliance as a whole hesitate, because we've seen this so many times now. And really what it just reiterates is... The need to stop Putin, um, and that's what Ukraine is doing the most of right now: is stopping Putin um, as he gets um, more and more aggressive.
1: Speaking of um, aggression, we remember it wasn't even really a little more, little more than a week ago at this point, and Prigozhin was leading what he later said was simply a protest, not some kind of an insurrection (laughs) or an attempt for a coup. No, 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 no. I was just I was just marching with a military force. But that's not what you thought it was. Um, We can all sort of raise our eyebrows and and try to see through that particular um, level of, let's just say, absurdity that we believe that. But Prigozhin. We haven't heard a whole lot from him since, but you do know a whole lot of conversations are happening about how he was able to have this happen with the Wagner group with very little resistance or penalty at this point. What is this saying about the power of of Russia's President Putin? And I, I would mention Zelensky in an interview with my colleague Aaron Burnett on CNN made the comment of, well, you're not really seeing Putin walk in the streets you're not really seeing him among the people so to speak not that we saw a lot of that anyway but he's not really among everyone is there a chance that his power is in fact shrinking
0: so the the progression case is really fascinating and um and telling but in a way It's actually how the system was designed to work. Because Putin keeps all of these people around him, the Siloviki, the the people with weapons, basically. Um, And he doesn't just have a Ministry of Defense and a police force. He's divided it up amongst several different um, oligarchs or people. So he has the federal protection organization which are like his bodyguards and they're supposedly getting some heavy weapons now he's got the national guard which is led by a former bodyguard of his which is definitely getting some more heavy weapons he had wagner he has kadirov and the chechens he has the regular ministry of defense so he has all of these different people around him with balancing forces who compete with each other and that's what you saw with Prigozhin was Pergogian competing with the Ministry of Defense over who would have the most power, um, and actually, it was Pergogian who was already on the way out, and he lost the Ministry of Defense. So, in an act of desperation, he launched this insurrection called the, you know, the March for Justice. Um, he's disappeared now. Um, why? Largely, I imagine they're in the process of dismantling Wagner. They're taking his troops and giving them either to allow them to go home, go to Belarus, or um, join the mil- the Ministry of Defense. He's taken all their—Putin's taken all the weapons away from Wagner and given that to the Ministry of Defense. So he's he's redistributed power. I don't think it's necessarily weakened him. Um, incidentally, you also saw him going after seeing these pictures of Prigozhin with all the people taking selfies with him. Mm-hmm. You saw Putin actually go down to Dagestan, and there's a picture of him kissing a girl— on the forehead, you know, he's out amongst his people, which is really surprising because he hasn't done that in years. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's definitely trying to recreate that that popular opinion. That said, what the Wagner march on Moscow showed was that this system is incredibly brittle. We don't know what's going on. Um, the balance of powers is great; it keeps people from being able to attack to um, to attack Putin without. Other people come into Putin's defense, but it shows that he doesn't really have complete control. The system is very brutal. When it cracks, it's going to crack big time, and you won't probably see it coming.
1: There's a lot there. I mean, just the idea of, um, oh, you've you've got selfie. I got your selfie, and I'm going to do a, a forehead kiss just to try yeah. to one-up you. But the fact that he felt he maybe had to is very telling. But the bottom it line is. here, Mary, it, it's, it's unlikely <clears throat> that this NATO summit will result in a forward needle motion for NATO membership of Ukraine in the near future. Is that right?
0: I think it will send a signal that Ukraine is moving forward, and perhaps they'll get a compromise that makes it a little bit faster than it would have been otherwise. Um, I think the history is on Ukraine's side right now in terms of the NATO summit. I think the opinion in the alliance is leaning toward Ukraine moving in faster rather than slower, but I don't think it's going to be um, as clear-cut as the Baltic states and Poland and Ukraine would like it to see.
1: Mary Glantz, thank you for your expertise. We appreciate it so much.
0: Thank you very much. This podcast has been brought to you by the United States Institute of Peace and Sirius XM's POTUS, Channel 124.